I am wondering, Ledoux family and anyone else who wants to answer my questions, what is your favorite fruit? Oh, if you answered me, I couldn't hear you. Hang on a second, let me make sure not my volume's up. Mango. Mango. I like you, strawberries. You like what? I like strawberries. Oh, strawberries. How? I like strawberries. Strawberries are good, yep. So have you ever seen strawberries grow from the ground? No. No? You've seen strawberries grow from the ground. What kind of thing do they grow on? Leaves. Leaves. Yep, like a little bush, like a little close yeah, to the ground is, bush. Yeah. How about mangoes? Have you seen mangoes grow? They come from a tree. Yeah. They do. They come from a tree. So what comes into that? Like what helps the strawberries and mangoes grow, those bushes and trees? And what helps the fruit grow? What kind of things go into that tree or bush? Water. Water. Soil. Mm Mm-hmm. Like stuff for the nutrients from the soil. Fertilizer. Fertilizer. Carbon dioxide and sunshine. Do the photosynthesis thing. Like there's stuff that comes into that bush or the tree that then makes the strawberries and the mangoes grow. And bees are involved to move pollen around. It's pretty amazing, actually. Today, one of the lessons, this guy that lived a long time ago named Paul, he was writing letters to churches in the area. And this letter that he wrote to the church that we read a part of today, he talks about different kinds of fruit, not mangoes and strawberries, but he talks about fruit like kindness and joy and gentleness. I wonder what kind of fruit looks like gentleness. What do you think? What does that look like? What does gentleness look like? Being gentle. Yep. Yep. Not being harsh and not being hard or being mean, being gentle. That's what that fruit looks like. It doesn't look like a strawberry or it doesn't look like a mango, but we know gentleness when we see it. And this letter to that Paul writes to the church that we get to hear to our church this morning basically is saying like a tree takes in those nutrients and the oxygen and the water and the sunlight and the bees buzz around it. Like all of that makes a mango that when we, as followers of Jesus, when we take in good stuff, like listening to what Jesus asks us to do, to love other people and love ourselves and love the planet. And when we do that work, when we're with other people that love Jesus, when we receive the love that people give us, when we're with people who are doing amazing things, even if they don't believe in Jesus, that is the stuff that we bring in, like that tree brings in the sunlight and it in us helps create the fruit of joy 
and the fruit of generosity, just like that tree creates a mango. So it's kind of amazing um, what being a follower of Jesus can do in our lives when we surround ourselves with all of that amazing stuff that Jesus has us have. Let's pray. Loving God, we give you thanks for the miracle of fruit, for the deliciousness of mangoes and strawberries and bananas and grapes and star fruit and other amazing things that we get to eat and enjoy and smell and see. Help us to bear the good fruit of your spirit, to take in that which is good for us, and that is what that which builds up your kingdom in this world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks, y'all. So the lessons today that we get are a little over the top. All four of them have this kind of largeness to them. The story of Elisha probably being one of the funniest of them, I think. Elijah comes by and puts his mantle over Elisha. He blesses Elisha. And Elisha, being moved by this and feeling called, wants to follow Elijah and become his helper. And Elijah sends him back. And in a fervor of commitment and loving a good party, maybe, Elisha makes it impossible for him to go back and work with the oxen because he slaughters the oxen and throws a party. And then he follows Elijah. In this commitment and over-the-topness, he hears this call to follow this prophet and be about his work in the world alongside him. The psalmist gives us this big language of what it means to be a follower of the Lord, of the God of Israel. It's this rejoicing psalm. And then in the gospel lesson, we also have this over-the-topness. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, and this part of the gospel of Luke is about Jesus on his way to Jerusalem. We'll hear again that Jesus has set his face toward Jerusalem, and that Jesus is on his way and where he will be tried and crucified, that's where Jesus is headed. And the author of the Gospel of Luke lets us know again and again that Jesus has set his face toward Jerusalem, to this inevitable ending, it feels like here. But part of what makes that ending inevitable is what happens in these chapters of Luke. While Jesus has his set face, his face set toward Jerusalem, he is not ignoring what's happening around him. But he knows that it's about something more than just this moment. And he's calling disciples to follow him. And people are moved to follow him. And so his disciples go out ahead of him to prepare the way. And they go to a village of Samaritans. 
If you knew this before, let me remind you, and if this is new information, this is important. The Israelites and the Samaritans were not friends, which is why the parable of the good Samaritan is so culturally shocking to Israelites that the Samaritan is the one who's the good person in that story. So here, Jesus' disciples go to this village of Samaritans to talk about this Israelite rabbi coming into the town, and shockingly enough, they don't welcome him. It's actually pretty predictable from the Samaritan village part that they wouldn't be super excited about this Israelite rabbi coming to tell them about the kingdom of God. And so not surprisingly, they don't throw out the welcome mat. So Jesus and his closest followers get to this village. They hear that they're not welcomed. And so James and John, who are kind of famous for being over the top, these are the let me sit at your right hand guys, remember? James and John offer, of all things, to call fire down on the village. Because they've done that before. I feel like if the disciples were like smiting villages, it might have shown up before the ninth chapter in the Gospel of Luke. But they make this over-the-top big offer to call fire down on this village and essentially smite this village that doesn't welcome Jesus. And the author of Luke tells us that Jesus turned and rebuked them. I don't know. I really feel like maybe he just rolled his eyes so hard they got stuck in the back of his head. Like, seriously, guys? Really? But over the top, because these people who have committed to this call, like Elisha commits to Elijah, there's this over the topness. When people commit, when we commit to things, and it it engenders a turning of our lives and a reorienting, there is something in human nature, at least for many of us, that calls for big gestures to signify that this is different now. I was baptized when I was 32 two days old. I have no recollection of this. I have the black and white pictures of family and friends and me in that big dress. But my whole life has been raised in a family and a faith that says that Jesus is the one to follow. That through Jesus, we know who God is is and that Jesus is the one to teach us as God, to teach us to love as God loves. When I was in graduate school at the University of Kansas, there was kind of a, a raft of graduate students in my program that were evangelical Christians. And we were doing a late night study session and one of them turned to me and we were on a break and one of them turned to me and said, Katie, tell us about your faith. And I didn't have a big conversion story. Remember, I was 32 days old when I was baptized. What do I have to say about this? 
And what the words that I heard coming out of my mouth are were true then and are true now, it's just part of who I am. They thought that was a pretty good answer. No one had ever given them that answer before because usually they get the conversion, the calling, the altar call story. But for me, I didn't have that big moment. And so I don't have one of those commitment conversion stories in the same way. But maybe some of you do. And so maybe you resonate with this bigness that's here of wanting to say, this is now who I am and I want everyone to know. Well, after James and John do not smite the village, (laughs) Jesus carries on with his travels toward Jerusalem. And along the way, they come to more villages And Jesus continues to have interactions. One person wants to follow Jesus, and Jesus says, be careful. This isn't what you think it's going to be. We are on the road. We do not have a home. We do not have places to be. If you follow me, be careful. And then Jesus calls two people to follow, to join, to be with him. And they say, both of them say, yes, but I resonate with that one. Come this way. Here's the thing. Yes, but I've got this plan or I've got this idea or I've got this thing I want to do first I'll be there but just give me a a day a moment a month a year I want to finish this first and Jesus says come follow me and sometimes we say yes but Because Jesus doesn't always call us into the way we thought we were going to go. Jesus doesn't always call us into places where we are comfortable and where we feel like we are equipped to do the thing. You may have heard the bumper sticker line, Jesus, or God doesn't call the equipped, God equips the called. I think both are actually true because occasionally and not that infrequently our joy intersects with where God wants us to be. Just because it's something we want doesn't mean that it isn't what God wants for us. And so as part of Christian communities, we are in this together as we discern where it is that God is calling us individually and collectively. Because sometimes that thing that I think is just a brilliant idea, because I thought of it after all, when I say it out loud to another human and they go, 
sometimes that's the spirit talking back and saying, maybe that's not the thing for right now in that way. And as we follow Jesus into the world and into the ways that he would have us go, it doesn't always look like we think it's going to look. When we think of church and faith and discipleship, sometimes we think that it's hymns and potlucks when it is serving our neighbor. And often the neighbor that we are most surprised to find God thinks is our neighbor. We may think that it's quiet and meditation and contemplation. And it's Jesus calling us into places where we never would go on our own. We may think of faith and following Jesus as comfort and this relationship individually that we have with God through Jesus And maybe what it is, is Jesus really calling us into this life of service and discipleship, where it isn't just about us and Jesus, but about how that relationship emboldens, empowers, and opens us up to the world that God loves so much, that Jesus is calling us into that world to be the hands of God for those who are hurting. Follow me, Jesus says. And sometimes we say, yes, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. And then we may get to that point where God says through Jesus, we're going this way. And sometimes we go, "Mm, are we? But what I know to be true is that even when we don't go that way in the moment that God calls us that way, that God's love is steadfast and true and that the spirit continues to work in us and that God is already at work where God would have us go. But when we take a different road or that road is delayed, God is already present there and continues to work and continues to work in and with and through us in other ways. So this discipleship thing is not for the faint of heart. We don't always know what we're getting into. And we certainly don't always remember once we're in it, all of the ways that God calls us to stretch outside of our own understandings and our own comfort zones to be engaging with this world. But God through Jesus calls us again and again and loves us through it all so that we may love others in Jesus' name. Amen.